Today's the final message in this series on the Apostles' Creed. Next week, Tammy Bowman, our director of middle school ministry, is going to be sharing this pulpit with you. And then on May 31st, I will be sharing the message, and we will have a special time on that weekend to honor our high school graduates. I hope you'll join us. Today's message is entitled, Rivers of Living Water, and our text is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the insert that comes with this message and take notes or uh, view the next steps that go with this message. The first major section of the Apostles' Creed is all about God, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The second section is about Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And the third major section of this creed begins with these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Hear also these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, which help to clarify for us the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. This is a moment of high drama. It is the last day, the greatest day, the eighth day of the final feast of the year, the Feast of Tabernacles. It usually took place in early October at the time of the final harvest, and it was a time of great celebration. For seven days, the Jews lived in lean-to tents or shanties made of palm branches and leaves and tree limbs. This was their way of remembering the 40 years that their ancestors spent wandering in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Those 40 years were remembered as a hard time, a long time, and a whole generation died while waiting to enter the promised land. So why celebrate that difficult period of their history? Because every day, even in the wilderness, God provided for them. He sent manna. He sent quail. Though he, they lived in the desert with the sand and the heat and the flies and the desolation all around them, God never failed them. They discovered that God could take care of them even in the wilderness. He could feed them for 40 years. And so for seven days each year, the Jews came to Jerusalem, made their lean-tos, and celebrated God's goodness. But it wasn't just food that God gave them in the wilderness. He also gave them water. And when the people became thirsty and had no water, they accused Moses of bringing them into the desert so that they would die of thirst. The Lord told Moses to take the same staff that he used to part the Red Sea and hit the rock 
at, Hor- at Horeb. And when he did, water gushed out, clean, fresh, pure water, more than enough for all the people. It was a mighty miracle made even greater because the people had grumbled against God and he provided for them anyway. So each day for seven days during the Feast of the Tabernacles, the priest would form a procession from the temple to the pool of Siloam. And there he filled a golden urn with water and brought it back to the temple. And while he poured the water onto the western side of the massive altar, the choir of 4,000 singers, accompanied by 287 instrumentalists, began to sing. And the people cheered and they sang Psalm 118, which begins with these words. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The the priest repeated this ritual every day for seven days. And the people cheered with joy each time. When the eighth day came, things were a bit different. This was the final day of the, the feast day of the entire year. It was truly the greatest day, and on that day there was a solemn convocation. But the priest did not go to the pool of Siloam to draw water. So Jesus chose that day, the greatest day of the final feast, the day with no water to stand up and speak to the throngs of people. The people were crowding the temple courts. The fact that he stood would have gotten attention because Jewish rabbis normally were seated when they taught. And the impact of his words on this particular day was enormous. On the one day when there was no water, Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. The Jews understood him immediately. For Jesus to say these words at that moment meant that he was declaring, I am the rock that brought forth the water in the wilderness. I am the true source of living water. Come to me, believe in me, and I will give you water from heaven. Now hold that picture in your mind for a moment because I want, to see, I want us to see that these words of Jesus are just as much for us today as they were for the Jews then. They speak a message of hope in a thirsty world. In these words today, I want us to recognize three great truths. First, we need to recognize that we come to Christ because we are thirsty. You know, most of us know very little about thirst. If we're thirsty, we go to the refrigerator and we get some water or some milk or some tea or some Coke. We go to the faucet, we turn it on, and if we don't turn it off, water pours 24 hours a day. So most of us rarely experience true thirst. A few years ago, Gatorade promoted itself with this slogan, Gatorade, for that deep down body thirst. 
Another commercial showed a runner at the end of a race having crossed the finish line, totally spent, all bent over, arms resting on his knees, his body dripping with sweat, and the commercial sends the message that there is a deep down thirst that Coca-Cola can satisfy. We know that a person can live for weeks without food, but we can only live a few days without water. Once thirst takes over, it becomes a raging demon within us, and all we can think about is finding a drink of water. And when that thirst controls us, we'll do just about anything, anything at all, to get those few drops of water. Now the truth is, inside all of us, there is another kind of thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. We all have a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. Some people thirst for emotional fulfillment, so they hop from one relationship to another. Some people think career advancement is the key to happiness, so they move from job to job. Some of us are adrenaline junkies, always on the move, looking for that next jolt of excitement, the next big adventure, the next battle to fight, trying to fulfill the impulses that we feel on the inside. But adventure itself never lasts very long. Life returns to the ordinary, and we wonder, what do we do now? Some people thirst for significance. Others thirst for power. Others thirst for fame or wealth to fill that lonely void deep down inside. Some of us thirst for intellect because we want to know the truth. Others search for a clear conscience because we're guilty and we need forgiveness. Still others search for happiness and don't know where to find it. We come to Christ because we are thirsty. But until we see our need for God and cry out for help, we will never come at all. As Jesus said, only the sick need a physician. Only the hungry will be fed. Only the lost will be found. And only the thirsty will drink the living water. Now second, we need to recognize that when we come to Christ, our thirst will be quenched. It's really very simple to experience God's saving grace. It's like drinking a glass of cool, cold water on a hot day. Notice the verbs that Jesus uses here. Come, drink, believe. We all know what these words mean. Jesus used simple words so everyone could understand the good news. Let me share with you for a moment a letter from a prisoner named Bernie. And this letter is almost exactly as he wrote it. Hello, Pastor. First of all, may God bless you. I pray that this letter finds you in the best of health. Me, I'm blessed. Sir, I just got done reading a Christian book that helped me to look at my life, and I want to tell you my story. I have been a mess-up all of my life. And my wife and my kids have always been godly people. It's always been me, the messed up father and husband. I'm in prison now for drugs, and I got to do 58 months. But after I read this book, I asked the Lord Jesus into my life. And I don't know what happened, but I do know 
it was good. I would like for you to assist me to know more about Christ. What a wonderful letter. When I read it, I was touched by his straightforward honesty about his sinful past. But this is my favorite part. I don't know what happened, but I do know it was good. Those are the words of someone who has found the living water. But just in case we may think that this is something to do with his situation in life or being in prison, let me share with you a part of another email. And it comes from a man who had been attending church for several months. His life has changed radically, and this is what he says. Pastor, I'm writing to you today to share with you how your church has changed my life. Almost two years ago, for unknown reasons, I decided to check out the church one Sunday morning. I liked what I saw and heard and began to attend pretty regularly. And then sometime last fall, something happened in my life that was profoundly different. I believe that is when I developed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, material things don't matter very much, and I have an inner peace that I never had before. The rest is history. I began to come every Sunday, and because of your encouragement, I joined a Bible study group where I have made new friends and learned many new things. I can't explain how all of this happened, but I am very thankful that it did. I love that last statement. I can't explain how all of this happened. That sounds a lot like what Bernie said. I don't know what happened, but I do know it was good. In a real sense, it doesn't matter whether you're in prison or whether you're on the outside, because apart from Christ, we're all in the same boat together. We're all hungry. We're all thirsty and desperately searching for something we can't quite find. And then one day we meet Jesus, and suddenly everything is different. Here is one mark of true conversion. We are deeply changed by Jesus, and we know it. That's the meaning of rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The Greek literally reads, living water will flow out of the belly, meaning out of the deepest place of our life, out of that seat of our emotions. And we talk about a belly laugh, don't we? We mean the same thing. A belly laugh comes from deep within us. The deep change that Jesus makes in our life touches us at the very core of who we are. We will know we are changed when we come to Jesus and something happens to us that we cannot fully explain. True conversion is more than just walking into a church and saying a prayer and attending a class or whatever else. True conversion means that Almighty God enters into our life in the deepest, most personal part, and he takes up residence in us. We can truly say, I am changed, when we know that what God has done, that God has done something for us that only God could do. Let me say that another way. 
If everything in our life can be explained apart from God, what do we need God for? True conversion goes beyond religion, which is why religious people are often the last to be converted. Religious people tend to trust in their religion, but sometimes their lives are never really changed. They go to church, they go through the motions, they may even pray, and the prayers, and in those prayers say all the right words, but they do not have a heart that has been changed. The heart is still parched and barren and empty. When Jesus comes in, living water flows out and it keeps on flowing. And here's the third point. We need to recognize that when our thirst is quenched, we become a, living, a river of living water for others. Here's how the Christian life works. We cry out to God, he gives us living water, and then we give that living water to others. Our lives are like an, ever, an overflowing stream from God to us to other people. And what starts with God comes down to us and then goes out from us to other people. Living water flows from God into us and then from deep within us, from the belly of life, the river flows out from us for the benefit of others. The concept of a river of living water can be found in various places in the Old Testament, including Isaiah 44, verse 3 where it says, For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. In verse 39 of John chapter 7, Jesus tells us that the living water is the Holy Spirit. That's the connection with the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Very simply, he brings God to us. When Jesus was on earth, his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And now that he has gone back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and brings God to us. The moment we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit pours God's life into us and a river of living water begins to flow out from us. But God doesn't just give us the Spirit so we can hoard it all to ourselves. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. The Holy Spirit brings God to us so that we can bring God to other people. The river flows from us to others. See, a genuine believer in Christ is never self-centered. We say to ourselves, I have been greatly blessed and I just have to pass these blessings along to other people. I can't keep them to myself. What God gives me, I give away. If it's money, it's not mine anyway. If it's my time, it belongs to God anyway. If it's something I own, I can give it away because I really don't own anything. God owns it all. And if it's a helping hand, I can do that because God reached down and helped me. In other words, do unto others as God has done unto you. Has God blessed you? Then bless others. Has God been kind to you? 
then be kind to others. Has God shown his grace to you? Then show grace to others. Has God forgiven you? Then forgive others. Be a river of living water to some thirsty soul in your life today. There's an old Christian chorus that's been around for a long time. I suppose I first heard it when I was maybe a teenager. Back then it was cutting edge. Today we rarely sing it. But it goes like this. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone you want to pass it on. And then the chorus ends with these words. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. I want the world to know. The Lord of love has come to me, and I want to pass it on. It's not a profound piece of music, but it contains a powerful truth. When we commit our life to Jesus Christ, we want to spread God's news to everyone and we want to pass it on. That's, why the whole, that's what the Holy Spirit does when he enters into our life. New life bubbles up from within us and we become a river of living water. You see, the first step in a changed life is coming to Jesus. It's all very personal. Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty can come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. He doesn't say, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to the church. He doesn't say, let them come and talk to the pastor, or let them be baptized, or attend a class. Jesus invites a thirsty world to come to him. Christ doesn't invite us to a religion. He invites us to a relationship. The invitation is personal, but it's also universal. Anyone who is thirsty may come. This is good news for even the worst of sinners. Christ turns no one away. We don't have to stay trapped in our sin. And that's good news for those who are defeated or despairing or discontented, who feel like giving up on life. That's good news for those who have been ruined by drugs or alcohol. This is good news for liars and cheats and and thieves. It's good news for those who are trapped in prisons of fear or guilt or failure. If you're thirsty, just come and drink the living water. Note that Jesus pleads with people to come and drink the living water. You would think it would be us who's crying out for help, but it's the Lord himself who's pleading with us. God is always reaching out to us. He doesn't say, hey, clean yourself up and then I'll give you the living water. Thank God we can come covered with the dirt of our sin and the living water will wash us clean. Let me close with one other observation and then a short story. The word rivers in this verse is plural. Not a river, but rivers of living water will flow out from us. Now I want you to think about the Nile River and then the Danube plus the Amazon plus the Mississippi plus the Looking Glass right here in Duet. Think about every great river coming together. Come to Jesus and the rivers of living water will begin to flow.
in abundance. That's what Jesus is telling us. There's a story of an old woman who was a true saint of God who was dying. And for many years she had studied the Bible and committed much of it to memory and then her health began to fail and her mind began to falter and she couldn't remember many of the passages that she once quoted uh, from heart. She passed uh, her day sitting in a rocking chair in her sunny living room remembering as much of the Bible as she could and near the end she could only remember one verse. I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Little by little, she lost her ability to say even that one verse. Eventually, she could only repeat one phrase of it. And she said it over and over and over again, that which I have committed to him. In her last few days, her family saw her lips moving She was repeating something over and over, and when they leaned over, they could hear her whisper, now only one word, him, him, him. At the end, you see, she had lost the ability to repeat the whole Bible verse. Just one word remained. But in that one word, she had the point of the entire Bible. The Bible is all about Jesus. See, salvation is always personal. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. Trust him. Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. This is not just a word for those who are without Jesus. It is a word for all of us who know him. He says to each of us, come to me. Come just as you are. Come and don't delay. Don't spend another moment drinking from polluted streams. Come and I will give you living water. Are you thirsty today for something better? Do you have a thirst deep down inside of you for a brand new life? Does your soul feel a little parched and dry today? See, you don't have to stay that way. Come to Jesus, and the rivers of living water will begin to flow. What a Christ we have. What a Savior. What an amazing invitation. If you're thirsty, come. Let's pray. Father, we are tired of trying to live our life alone, left to our own power and strength. So we ask for this river of living water that Jesus promised. Fill us with your spirit and grant us the overflow of your power and grace. Fill us with your spirit so that we can serve you and honor you as you so richly deserve. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be a blessing to others even in tough times. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.